0: Well, Matthew chapter 7, so glad you're here, especially if you're a guest. As many of you know, we have been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a sermon that was given by Jesus early on in his ministry, and it's meant to paint a picture for you and me of what following Jesus looks like. It's meant to paint a picture of what life in God's kingdom is meant to be. And we're going to be wrapping up our series next week. And as we're nearing the end of Jesus's sermon, we're going to be looking at his concluding words, both this week and next week. And as Jesus closes his sermon, he does it by calling his listeners to action. Just as we would expect from a skilled preacher, Jesus ends by asking his followers for a decision. He wants a decision. He offers them a number of choices as he closes out his sermon here in Matthew chapter 7. And by doing so, he honors us in our humanity by calling us to choose wisely. As we near the end of Jesus' sermon, listen to how he begins his conclusion in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. This is what Jesus says, "'Enter by the narrow gate.'" For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, this is God's word for us, and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. So let me pray for us before we look at it together. Lord, we thank you for your word and all of its beauty and also its difficulty And we pray this morning that as we look at this difficult passage that calls us to choose the narrow, hard way, that you would encourage our hearts with your love, that you would empower us to walk the way that you've called us to walk. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we are about to enter into one of the most wonderful times of the year, in just a few short weeks, football season will be back. I have a friend who posted to social media last week and said only 25 more sleeps until football starts. It's an interesting way to put it. Maybe you're not a football fan this morning. That's the case. You're still welcome at Trinity Grace. Maybe harder to find friends here, but you're still welcome. But you likely know somebody who is a football fan, and every fan has high hopes and dreams at this point in the season. All of our teams are undefeated, right? Uh, The sky is the limit at this point. And it would be hard to think of an NFL team and a player that has had more success over the past decade than the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. They've been amazing. The Patriots have been to the Super Bowl five times out of the past 10 years, and Brady has a total of five Super Bowl rings in his career, more than any other professional football player. A few years back, Tom Brady was interviewed about his amazing career as a quarterback with the New England Patriots. And at the time of the interview, Brady had won Super Bowls, three of them. He was a multimillionaire. He was married to a supermodel, and he still is. He's got a picture-perfect life. And in the course of the interview, Brady says this, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life, but I still thank God it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't it, is it? This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Three Super Bowl rings, millions of dollars, picture perfect life. And in a moment of honest reflection, he recognizes that it's not enough to bear the weight of his soul. Saying this can't be all that it is. There's got to be something more out there. Look, many times people are led to consider Christianity and Jesus after they hit rock bottom. Something happens in their life and they turn to Jesus because they've got nowhere else to turn. However, it can also work the other way around. What happens when you get everything you ever wanted and come to find that it's not fulfilling you in the way that you had hoped it would? What happens when you come to find that what you thought was going to fulfill you is not enough? Well, in our culture, and in our area of the city specifically, there may be times that we hit rock bottom and have nowhere else to go but God. But I think that our tendency is more often than not going to be the other way around. In the midst of such affluence and comfort, in the midst of prestige and influence, we may get everything we ever dreamed of and come to ask the same question that Brady asked. This can't be all there is. This can't be it. And it's when we come to that point of feeling the emptiness of what this world offers that the countercultural life that Jesus calls us to becomes strangely attractive. In the midst of our affluence and our drive for success, Jesus comes into our lives and he offers us a different route to soul fulfillment. He knows that we crave satisfaction. He knows that we want to be significant and fulfilled. In fact, it's in our spiritual DNA because we were created in God's image. The problem for us is that we often look for this satisfaction and significance in places that leave us more empty than when we started. And it's into this void that Jesus comes and he invites us to make a different choice this morning. It's the way Jesus often works, offering his followers choices. You see him offering choices all the time in the Gospels. He asks, are you going to follow the letter of the law or the spirit of the law? Are you going to practice righteousness to be seen by God or to be seen by man? Are you going to love God or are you going to love money? Choices. Jesus regularly offers choices. And he comes and he offers us a choice this morning. It's a choice between two paths and two voices. One option leads to more soul thirst and the other option leads us to life. And We're going to look at this passage under two headings this morning. By asking the questions, which path will you choose and which voice will you listen to? Which path will you choose, which voice will you listen to? Jesus begins by offering his listeners the choice between two paths. You see this choice in verses 13 and 14 where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Well, Jesus is coming and he's giving a choice between two gates and two roads. It's a choice between two ways of life. It was Robert Frost who wrote a poem entitled The Road Not Taken. Many of you have likely heard the most popular line in that poem where he says, two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled and that has made all the difference. And Frost may not have known it, but he was picking up on a theme that's found time and time again throughout the scriptures. From the very beginning, God's people have been given a choice between life and death. In the garden, Adam and Eve were given a choice to eat the fruit and die, or to stay away from the fruit and live. As you follow along in the story, you get to the Exodus journey, God's people traveling to the promised land, and God gives the people a choice, again, between life and death through their leader, Moses. If God's people choose to obey God's commands, they'll experience life and wholeness. If they choose to worship other gods and disobey his commands, uh, they'll experience death and disintegration. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses says this, See, I have set before you today the choice between life and death, between good and evil. If you follow along even further, you get to the book of Joshua. And after the people settle into the promised land, Joshua offers Israel, who wants to worship the other gods all around them, he offers them a choice by saying, Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, and as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. You move on a little further and you get to Psalm 1, which we've read this morning, and you see a choice laid out once again. You can choose to sit in the company that leads to death or pursue the way that leads to life and flourishing. And then we come to Matthew chapter 7, and at the end of Jesus' sermon, he offers us a choice once again. You can choose the narrow gate or the wide gate. You can choose the easy road or the hard road, and one path leads to death while the other path leads to life. Jesus comes and he gives us two options. It's one or the other. And we're called to make a choice to use our human agency to choose. But this is hard for us because we like to keep our options open. We don't like to make firm decisions. At least I don't. We want to see how things play out before we decide. It's why the maybe option for Facebook was so popular when they actually allowed you to click that for an event. You couldn't say yes or no. You wanted to say maybe. But Jesus doesn't let us answer with a maybe. He calls us to make a firm decision, and to help us, he teaches that the better, harder road is the one that leads to wholeness and eternal life, while the wide, easy road leads to soul thirst and dissatisfaction. Jesus is ending his sermon by telling his listeners the plain truth here, and it's something that every follower of Jesus needs to consider, that the way of discipleship is hard. It's hard. But it leads to life in the end. Jesus says that the gate is narrow. Okay, what does Jesus mean here? In what ways is the gate narrow? Well, it restricts us in many ways to follow Jesus. If you think about it, you've got to leave things behind if you want to follow Jesus. Maybe certain habits or desires that you would rather hold on to, maybe certain attitudes or beliefs that you would like to be true in life. You've got to leave those things behind. Jesus' commands are often restrictive. Think about the fact that eight of the 10 commandments begin with, you shall not. When God forbids certain things in our life, it narrows our options, and we don't like that. I don't like that. But it's not just God's commands that restrict us. It's also the call to emulate God in a positive way that can be restrictive. Think about this, God is faithful. Therefore, we're called to be faithful and keep our promises. God is generous. Therefore, we're called to be generous towards other people. God is kind. Therefore, we should be kind. Meanness and cruelty and the pursuit of personal comfort. These aren't options for followers of Jesus who are called to emulate God. Look, the narrow gate, The gate is narrow in this way. The gate also is narrow in the fact that the Bible teaches truths or doctrines that we've got to believe. It tells us that God created the world out of nothing, that Jesus is both God and man, that one day this world will end and we'll all stand before Jesus in judgment. And the Bible directs us to believe in certain things and not others, and this restricts us. The way is narrow. The way is narrow and the road is hard. The word translated hard comes from a family of words that refers to suffering and persecution. The Jesus way is narrow because it can lead to opposition. And this is the plain truth that Jesus wants us to know that the gate is narrow and the road is hard. It's one of the options that Jesus gives us. But the other option is the wide gate and the easy road. The word used to describe road here means broad and spacious and roomy. It's a road of tolerance and permissiveness. Uh, It's a road where you don't have to leave anything behind. The easy road for us is so appealing because in many ways, we get to do exactly what we want to do if we choose to travel down that road. On that road, you can forget about God if it's convenient, ignore any rules and standards and there's no need for self-discipline or self-denial whatsoever. This is the road of doing whatever pleases you. And it's an attractive road. In fact, it's our default position to want to travel this road. Following the way of Jesus for us is oftentimes so unnatural. Sin is often so easy. And the life of faith is really hard. But The wide road, where we do as we see fit, is really the philosophy of the day. It's the water in which we swim. It's what's been termed expressive individualism, where I get to do what I want to do, and who are you to tell me differently? Who are you to tell me what I should or shouldn't do? The influential postmodern philosopher Richard Rorty says that truth is what peers allow us to get away with. what peers allow us to get away with, and with no objective truth, life becomes far less demanding. The wide road is so easy, some would say it gets easier all the time. So if the wide road is so easy, why in the world would anyone want to take the narrow road? (laughs) Well, there are a number of reasons why the narrow road is the better choice. First, the easy road is easy at first, but later it becomes hard. Very practically, think about it. Without self-control, life disintegrates. If you buy whatever you want for long enough, you'll eventually become poor. If you eat whatever you want for long enough, eventually your health is going to suffer. If you keep only convenient promises, eventually no one's going to trust you. The easy road is pleasant at first, but it's unsustainable in the long run to do whatever we want. Second, the easy road turns out to be too easy. As humans created in God's image, we were made to do great things to take on profound challenges. There is joy in facing a challenge and overcoming a difficulty. It's how we were made. And we were destined for more than just to drift along. Destined for more than following every one of our desires. The hard road appeals to people who like the right kind of challenge, who are willing to press on to worthy goals, to lofty goals. Third, the hard path is better because it's the true path. We all hate the idea of living for a false faith or philosophy, even if it works for a while. Aristotle once said that all men by nature desire to know. He said, the simple fact that we prefer to keep our eyes open rather than closed proves this. So even though it's difficult, we want to know what's true. We don't want to keep our heads in the sand. And lastly, we should choose the narrow way because it leads to life. Both the hard road and the easy road, they lead somewhere. Everyone is heading towards a destination. One day life is going to end. One day history is going to come to an end. And according to Jesus, the hard road might restrict us now, but one day it is going to open up into eternity. The easy road, though, leads to destruction. I love how one of my seminary professors put it when he said this, and this is really the conclusion of this first point. The easy road makes no demands, but it offers no rewards. But the hard road makes great demands and offers great rewards. So Jesus is inviting us to consider the narrow gate and the hard road because he wants us to experience life and wholeness. He wants what's best for us, true life in the here and now and ultimately into eternity. And it's a gracious call to a difficult path. But, if we're going to choose the right path, we've got to be listening to the right voices. The difficulty of finding the narrow road is that we need the right guides to point us to it constantly. Voices that call us towards life and not death. Voices that call us to the narrow way, even when every fiber of our being wants to turn and take the easy way. And so Jesus moves into talking about prophets in verse 15. He wants us to watch out for those voices that are going to lead us down the wrong paths of life. Jesus wants us to be careful about who we listen to. Because some voices will lead us towards life, but false prophets will eventually lead us towards destruction. And it's a characteristic of a false prophet that they deny the way is hard. False prophets will tell you that all is well when disaster is looming. I love how Jeremiah describes false prophets. He says, false prophets cry out, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And in contrast, true prophets wake people up and point them to the true way, even if it's uncomfortable. False prophets don't just make mistakes in their teaching. We all make mistakes. False prophets are wrong in their very fundamentals. Wrong about who God is, wrong about... This world, wrong about meaning in life, wrong about the gospel and God's work in this world. These false prophets oftentimes seem benign at first too. They fit in, they look like us. They look like they belong. They are sh- they're in sheep's clothing, as Jesus says, but Jesus says they intend harm. And look, practically speaking, I think we definitely still experience these kind of false prophets today, obviously. There are actual people in the church that are teaching false things about who God is, who we are, false things about the Bible. I think of the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that we likely have heard on TV or on the radio. These would be considered false prophets in our current culture. But more often than not, I think that we encounter a more subtle form of false prophecy. We are prone to encounter damaging voices in our lives that try to convince us of certain things, practically False prophets for us don't always take the form of a person. Sometimes they're the cultural norms and beliefs that we have come to embrace. In our culture, we hear the false prophets of comfort and wealth, of beauty and control all the time. We cannot escape these voices, they are loud. We hear them on TV. We hear these voices as we drive around town. We hear the voices of these false prophets as we interact with friends and look at who has what and who's doing what. And these are voices that try to convince us to accumulate more, to do what makes us happy, to look out for ourselves and our family, to look out for number one, to indulge because you deserve it. It's a voice of a false prophet and we hear these siren songs of false prophets all the time in our lives. In Greek mythology, the sirens, you likely know, were dangerous creatures who lured nearby sailors with their enchanting music and their singing voices. And these sailors would eventually shipwreck on the rocky coast of their islands. And I think these voices are all around us, the siren songs that we hear in our lives, enchanting voices that try to tell us what is important, that try to convince us who we should be. Convince us of what is important and try to persuade us to give up our life for certain causes. And these voices don't seem dangerous in the moment because everybody's doing it. They seem to be calling us to real life because it's enjoyable. It really is. But if we follow these voices, we'll eventually find that the life they promise is not really fulfilling. These voices actually lead to more emptiness and soul thirst. So the question becomes, to what kind of teaching and teachers are you going to be attracted to? What voices are going to have the loudest, loudest volume in your life? Which voices will lure you into their philosophy? As we listen to voices, we've got to keep an eye on what their message produces. That's what Jesus says next. Jesus says that we'll be able to discern true from false by the fruit that's produced by these voices that we hear. Jesus says in verse 17 that every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Eventually, fruit will be seen. It's not normally immediate. It may take a while, but each of the voices we listen to are going to lead us towards some kind of fruit. And if it leads to what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, if the voices we listen to are shaping and forming us into more love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, then we can conclude that the fruit is coming from a trustworthy voice. But if we find ourselves led to the deeds of the flesh, to envy, to anger, to lust, to self-indulgence, then we can conclude from the fruit that it's a deceptive voice. We should not listen. We're all listening to voices in our lives and these voices have an effect on how we live. These voices are beckoning us to certain paths and Jesus is calling us to pay attention to who we are listening to. He's calling us to give our attention to those voices that are gonna lead us to the good fruit of the spirit, lead us into life and wholeness. As Jesus closes his sermon on the mount, he ends by calling us to make a choice. He calls us to enter through the narrow gate. He calls us to listen to true prophets. And it's a stern call. It's a tough call. We see that there is a sternness and a toughness about the Christian message that is avoided at our own peril. We've got to pay attention to it. And it's important to remember that Jesus gives us this warning because He loves us and wants us to experience life. This is a gracious warning. And in calling us to choose the narrow gate, and in calling us to choose to listen to true prophets, I want you to end, want to end with this. Jesus is really calling us to choose Him, to choose Him. The images that Jesus uses in this passage that we've just read are images that we find elsewhere in the Gospels. And they're images that speak of Jesus himself. When Jesus calls us to enter through the narrow gate, he's calling us to enter into the life of the kingdom through him. In John chapter 10, verse 9, which Matt read for us this morning, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is the gate. As we enter through him, we're led to life. And when Jesus calls us to listen to voices that will lead us to life, he's ultimately calling us to listen to him. Because in John chapter 10, Jesus says the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They don't recognize a stranger's voice, but they recognize mine. Jesus is the true prophet, the one who comes and lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't take advantage of the sheep. His is the voice that we need, the voice that we can trust, the voice that leads us to fruit. Jesus wants us to find the gate. He wants us to find the true prophet. In short, Jesus wants us to find himself. And if we find Jesus, we will find life. Find Jesus and you will have found the way that leads to flourishing. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it leads us in the paths of righteousness. Thank you for your generous warnings in our life. Lord, we thank you for the way that you are the voice that continually calls us back to yourself, continually calls us to what is true. And we pray this morning that as we hear your voice, we would follow you with great joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.